All through history, stories that have a certain fairy tale-like dimension to them have been among our favorites. We love stories where the frog is really a prince waiting to be kissed, where the ugly duckling blossoms into a resplendent swan, where the blind beggar of a village turns out to be the wisest person of all who sees far more than even people who are not blind. Well, in the second chapter of the book of Joshua, we encounter just this kind of surprise when the least likely of people turns out to be the most insightful of all. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is uh, program number two of a six-part series on the Bible's sixth book, Joshua. And at this early stage yet in the narrative of Joshua, the people of Israel haven't yet officially crossed into the Promised Land. They're going to cross the Jordan River ultimately. We'll see that in an upcoming program. But before they're even ready to do that, uh, Daryl, the first order of business is research or in more military terms, reconnaissance. So then they have to go into the land and spy on it and see what's going on there. And all of this in effort to realize the promise that God has given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Moses, that there will be a land. And they're like, well, we're right over there is the land. I'm going to send 12 spies. They went down there and the 10 came back with a bad report. Two came back with a good report. And we see in numbers 13 and 14, this is what happens. The spies came back to Moses and Aaron, and they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. That was 40 years ago, as we are in Joshua 2. The initial uh, foray of spying out Canaan didn't end well. And God said, you know what? Uh, you don't believe in me. You're believing the bad report of the 10 and not the good report of Joshua and Caleb. You're going to wander around in circles for 40 years. And after that time, when this generation that just rebelled against my promises to you, right, when they're all dead, then you can go into the land again. So that was a long time ago. But now it's been 40 years. So uh, Joshua and Caleb had been in the land. They had been spies. But that was four decades ago. Things change. So they can't go in without sending new spies. This time only two, I think. Uh, so here it is from Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. 
I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them there under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forge of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. This is an interesting turn of events, isn't it, Scott? Unlikely hero, quote unquote, with Rahab. And it's interesting that they would even note this in the Bible, that they went to see a prostitute, that they were hiding with the prostitute. The prostitute lies and saves their necks. It's really interesting that the Bible doesn't leave out these details. Now, when I was in Sunday school, I always had the impression the spies uh, ducked into Rahab's only after they had been discovered. But looks like they went there first. And you can make of that what you want. But certainly, both morally and militarily, this doesn't make a lot of sense. There's some moral complexity here, but also it doesn't make a lot of military sense to go hide in a uh, prostitute's place. Um, that's not going to help you spy out the land. But when the king of Jericho gets wind of the fact that the spies are there, he knows where to go. He sends a message straight to Rahab. So somebody saw these men go in there, or somebody inside of Rahab's house ratted them out. Either way, the king has them pinpointed. So these guys are in a, a bad, bad spot until Rahab lies. She sends the uh, Jericho soldiers on a wild goose chase. Oh, they went that way. They went that way. Oh, okay. And they take off, but the men are still there. So then the all points bulletin goes out right. from the king to try to find these. I call them Jericho cops. They were trying to find these guys. And it's interesting that Rahab would cover for them. She's not one of God's people. She's not an Israelite, but she ends up doing things that help the Israelites in this situation. Why does she end up covering with them? It's so complex, all the details of this story. Checkered past, if you will, but God still includes it. You know, those of us who are familiar with Genesis, and we've done some series on Genesis on groundwork here before, we tidy up the Bible stories for to tell them to children or right. vacation Bible school or Sunday school. But the Bible doesn't do that. When we've been in Genesis, you know, we noted, look, Jacob uh, initially, early in his life, was a, a cheat and a scoundrel and a crook. He lied to his father. He lied to his brother. He was just not a nice guy. Right. Joseph's brothers, the, the people who for whom the 12 tribes of Israel are going to get named eventually, they were terrible. This isn't tidy. This right. isn't what we would call a morally clean story. It's complex, and yet the Bible doesn't pull any punches about it. God is also able to work in all of our muddled moral messes. You know what's really interesting to me too, Scott, is that because the Bible does not turn a blind eye to the brokenness of the people and it shows that God can get the glory in dysfunctional situations, it gives me hope because I don't know about you, but I come from a dysfunctional context. Mm. There are a lot of people who come from dysfunctional context. Their families aren't the best. Hey. They have situations that are broken. And because God shows that he can work historically in those scriptures like that, we serve the same God who could also help us in our dysfunctional situations and bring us hope too. So that really encourages me. Indeed. I remember when I was a pastor of a church, my sermons would often get printed and then distributed to people. And somebody who didn't go to my church, but who had a family that had a lot of brokenness in it, and he had some children that had gotten into trouble. And he wrote me a note saying how encouraged he was on these sermons I was preaching from Genesis about Jacob's family and Joseph's family. Because he said, you know, all of us who know dysfunction, as you just said, Daryl, 
this is good news. God hasn't stopped working. And I think that is indeed the message, that God hasn't stopped working. And so through the surprising efforts of a prostitute named Rahab, who tells a bold-faced lie to cover up the presence of the spies, God is getting stuff done. But as they say on TV, wait, there's more. There's something even more dramatic that's going to happen through Rahab. And we'll take a look at that in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And so far, Daryl, we're in Joshua 2 in this second program of a six-part series on the book of Joshua. So, so far, we've seen that the spies visited a prostitute first thing in the land of Canaan and specifically in the city of Jericho. Then we're told that Rahab, uh, once the men were found out, she lied to the king's soldiers to send them on a wild goose chase. They were actually still hidden up on her roof, but the soldiers left the city to go chase them. And that's kind of where we pick it up now in verse 8 to see what happens next if Rahab Rahab's been a surprising hero of the story so far. What's going to happen next is even more amazing. Verse 8, it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So again, if earlier here in Joshua 2, if Rahab had seemed an unlikely source of help for the spies in hiding, now we're shocked to see that she becomes an unlikely person to become a prophet <laughs> and a preacher. But that's what happens. Rahab tells the Israelite men how great their God is. She even uses God's name, Yahweh, right, which he first revealed to Moses back in the burning bush in Exodus 3. But Rahab tells the men how great their God, Yahweh, is so great that the whole world is in dread of their God. And this comes from her, of all people. She's not an Israelite. Right. She is not. And how in the world did she hear about this? Scott, sometimes we think when we go and we do missions, we go and we serve, we think we're bringing the gospel, we're <laughs> bringing God. And God's reputation, his renown is everywhere. And so there will be people who we least expect or least think that might hear about what God has done and who he is, that they actually end up the proclaiming the word and proclaiming God's promises and character to us and encouraging us. And so this is exactly what 
what Rahab does. And when I was in Bible school, they talked about the concept of a faithful person who was not from Israel. Mm. And there are some people sometimes that God can use an example to Israel to testify to who God is. And he does that with Rahab. She even has a great line that your God, she's saying this is these lines, your God uh, is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Uh, and that heaven and earth imagery yeah. is a rhetorical device called a marismus. We saw it already in Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. And in uh, ancient uh, times, when you use the highest, the heavens and the lowest, the earth, that stands for everything in between. So when God creates the heaven and the earth, that was Genesis' way of saying he made everything. And now when Rahab says your God is the God of heaven above and earth below, she's saying your God is the God of everything. From A to Z, the whole kitten caboodle, that's who your God is, and that's why we're afraid. We're melting in fear. So again, an amazing prophecy from a very unlikely person. But as you just said, Daryl, it reminds us don't count anybody out. Don't think that God can't speak to you through almost anybody, right? God is a God of surprises. So don't count anybody out. We can get divine insight. We can get guidance. And it can pop up almost anywhere, even from the least likely of people. I love that thing you said about the Marismas. I was thinking about that because he did it. God did it in the beginning of the book of Joshua in the, mm. in the episode that came before this one. We talked about meditate on the law day and night. Right. So he means every hour in between as well, because if we observe to do what is written in it, we'll be prosperous and successful is what he said to Joshua. And I really enjoyed the fact that you point out that God will use unlikely people because God's arm is not too short. He can use anybody. He can save anybody. And so we can't count anyone out because we do not know where they are in their regeneration, in their conversion, in their repentance. We can't count anyone out. And the Bible says that even strangers could be angels in disguise. So we really don't know who he's using. But if we're faithful to testify to who he is, we might be surprised. Rahab is a surprise. Of course, she's not uh, completely selfless. She does want to cut a deal uh, with the spies. She says, you know, when the time comes, uh, please preserve the life of me and my family. So we know that God is going to tell them. We talked about this. This is kind of the scandal of Joshua in a way. God's going to tell them to, you know, basically kill everybody. But in this case, not Rahab and her family. Uh, so in verse 17, after Rahab says, you know, tell me that you'll you'll save me. Now, the men had said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. And if any of them go outside of your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We won't be responsible. But as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we'll be released from this oath. Agreed. She said, let it be as you say. So she sent them away. They departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So she lets them over the wall. When they finally escape, she already sent the king's men on a wild goose chase down by this scarlet cord, which has become a well-known biblical image. And the men say, keep it there. Keep it hanging there. So when we get here, we will remember where you live and your whole family can come down that way and you won't die when the rest of Jericho does. That scarlet 
thread, that scarlet cord is, is really powerful image and it's well known for a lot of folks. And, and especially when they go in to take this city, the actual houses may look all the same. So mm-hmm. they really need an indicator to say, oh, no, no, leave that house alone. That's Rahab. That's her family. She did a kindness to us. We're going to do a kindness to her. And then ultimately she becomes a part of the family of God eventually. And we'll get to that soon. But it's really powerful to see that that God can also use these weird situations and circumstances and still get his purposes done. All right. It's my friend Neil Plantinga says God's really good at hitting straight shots with crooked sticks. As you just said, Daryl, you never know through whom God's going to work in your life. And the only mistake we can make is assuming we know where we'll find divine insight, where we'll get a word from the Lord. No, not so fast. God is awfully good at surprises, uh, and Rahab uh, is certainly a great surprise. In fact, Rahab is such a great surprise that she has resonance uh, in different parts of the Bible. And as we wrap up this program, we're going to take a look at that in just a moment. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And uh, the prostitute Rahab is a prominent part of the story that we've been looking at here in Joshua 2. But, Daryl, she'll be mentioned again a couple times in Joshua 6, and that's when they actually do get rescued. So we just said, you know, they told her to keep the scarlet cord, the scarlet rope that she let the spies down on. Keep it in your window, they said, so we remember you, and you and your family will take that to safety. But you might think... Rahab's kind of minor characters. She's mentioned, you know, Joshua 2, Joshua 6. That's it. There's a lot of characters that come and go in the Bible and you never hear from them again. You might think that was true of uh, Rahab, but now she struck a, literally, she struck a chord, uh, no (laughs) pun intended. And we see that even into the New Testament. So it seems the New Testament writers are really intrigued by the story of Rahab and they echo her in quite a bit. Like this one here in James chapter two, picking up in verse 21, it says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead too. So James is making his big point there that uh, we need both faith and deeds, and Rahab becomes an example of this. Amazing that James would tumble to talk about Rahab all those centuries later. But she makes it into the great hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11, too. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
So again, in James 2, now in Hebrews 11, Rahab becomes a, sort of a striking figure in Scripture. And it just doesn't address her current lifestyle situation, but it addresses her behavior that she did as faithful behavior to help those who are also going to follow God's promises and the provisions thereof. But then also, too, you see in Matthew chapter one, where Matthew intentionally puts her name into the genealogy of the birth of Jesus. And you see it here and starting in verse two, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, whose father was Nishan, Nishan, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There it is. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So this is the real capper of who Rahab, the former prostitute, went on to be. She joined Israel, and she became the great-great-great-grandmother of no less than King David. And through that, she becomes a great-great-great-great-great-great. I don't know how many greats we need, but grandmother of no less than Jesus himself. And that is quite stunning. And, you know, when we've looked at the genealogy before, we've done an Advent series here on Groundwork, Daryl, on the four women, five if you count Mary. Women weren't usually included in Jewish family trees. If they were, they were the righteous women like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. But Matthew includes Tamar and uh, Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, all foreigners, several of them with some hmm, iffy stories associated with them as a reminder. Jesus the Messiah came for all people, and Rahab, who becomes a great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, is a reminder of that, of that great grace. The circumstances in which the birth of Jesus came were not perfect circumstances either. So even though, again, we come from situations and families that are not always the best and ideal situations, it doesn't tie our God's hands. He can still work. He can still get the glory. And if you look at Rahab's situation, you see that she is a person who has a reputation of being a prostitute and God still incorporates her in the plan. So it's redeeming for me to know that no matter what my past is, no matter what my circumstance is, I don't need to stay that way. God can bring me into the family, use me and redeem me. And so now I'm part of the family of God and God gets the glory for that transformation transformation of life. It's the fulfillment of Genesis 12 again. Abram, you will be a blessing to all nations, and Rahab becomes a symbol of all nations. Uh, Don't ever count anybody out. And Daryl, I think that's a good reminder for us today, because we all know that in, in our society today, in the 21st century, we, through social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we've all tended to go into these silos where we just go into these echo chambers of the like-minded. You know, we don't want to hear contrary opinions. We only want people who vote the way we vote, think the way we think, and we're not going to associate with people who have different ideas. Rahab stands as a reminder here that God works through all people. Don't count anybody out. Don't isolate yourself and assume only my group has the corner on truth. God is bigger than that, right? God is always at work. 
even though sometimes we go into these echo chambers and places where we just want people to nod around the room and mm-hmm. hear and agree with what we say, we really do need to understand that there could be people who are not like us, that don't think like us, that don't dress like us, that don't vote like us, that God can still use and incorporate and bring into his family. And we need to be understanding and have a little bit more of an open mind and think about how sovereign God can be and how powerful he can be because his role is to bring everybody to a place where they get an opportunity for the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this is an awesome, powerful thing that God gets to do through the people that he's chosen. God is always bigger than just our local group. He is always up to far more uh, than we could dream at any given moment. So again, the Bible is good at showing that God's a God of surprises. And this will go right into the New Testament, right? I mean, the apostles are con- in the book of Acts. Yes. They're constantly getting surprised uh, where God is working. And in Cornelius and his family, in an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the Holy Spirit pops up all over the place in Acts. Yes. Um, we sing a song in our churches, a lot of us, Awesome God. Through some surprising twists and turns, the story of Rahab is a great reminder of that truth. Our God is an awesome God indeed. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we study Joshua 3 and 4 to see what happens as Israel arrives at the Jordan on their journey to the land God had promised them. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or share ideas for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.